0: Welcome back to Cause Talk Radio by Rashpixel.fm, the podcast that shows do-gooders, nonprofits, and businesses how to build win-win partnerships that do well by doing good. This podcast is brought to you by Engage for Good, Selfish Giving, and Unfiltered, the new podcast of Phil and Company. That's Phil as in philanthropies. Now on to our show.
1: Hey, everyone, it's Joe Waters, and I want to welcome you to another exciting episode of Cause Talk Radio. On the line with me, of course, is Megan Strand, and she is fired up today, Megan. I
0: am fired up. Hey, Joe, it's great to be here. See how fired up I am?
1: I'll tell you. See, see how fired up? And I mean, this is only to be expected because of Engage Good being so close by.
0: Well, also, Dan Goldenberg from Call of Duty Endowment got me all fired up. So thanks, Dan.
1: Yeah, big shout out to Dan, who we've had on the show before too. But on the show, we're actually talking, interestingly today, we're talking about an episode of Freakonomics. And this episode was called, uh, Does Doing Good Give You License to Be Bad? And it makes some pretty serious claims about CSR. I mean, some bad stuff. And we're going to debunk them today, we hope. And To do that, because Megan and I are not smart enough to do that, we brought someone wicked smart online today. He is the combination of the Dalai Lama and Einstein, (laughs) okay? To help us with this issue today and on the line with us today is Chris Jarvis, and Chris has been on the show before. He's a partner at Realized Worth and also the executive director at the RWE. Institute. Hey, Chris, what's happening? Hey,
2: guys, great to be here. Thanks for the invite. Chris, Yeah, I've never
1: described anyone as a cross between the Dalai Lama and uh, and Einstein. I mean, you have Einstein's hair, but you have the Dalai Lama's compassion.
2: (laughs) What do you think of that? Well, uh, maybe, except that all this good means I like to do bad things too, you know, (laughs) Joe. That's right. (laughs) That's why we like you. yeah. That's why I th-
1: that's why I think you got into cause in yeah. the first
2: place. And that's what we're talking about. The bad so things. That's right. Bad. Yeah,
1: absolutely. So so Megan I'm gonna let Megan make the first point on this because she is really fired up about this. Well
0: so I think what we're doing today, first of all, we're doing a podcast about a podcast. So just make sure that nuance mm-hmm. isn't mis- missed that. Um but there, we wanna just walk through a couple points that they make in the podcast episode and and sort of get some counter response to it. So you know, one of the first things they start out talking about is that 90% of companies today are producing CSR reports. And essentially, what they then go on to intimate is that, you know, while some companies are doing this, because it's the right thing to do, and it's, it's a good thing to do, and it works for them. You know, most companies have less than pure reasons for embracing CSR. And I, I don't know, I, ha- I took a little bit of exception to that, because I don't know about you guys. But really, to me, it seems like the exception is that company that's really doing it to patch up their reputation or to try to counter something horrible that they're doing in the world. So I took a little bit of exception to that. Um, And it could just be that the programs that we're looking at are really great programs. But I feel like I almost wish there were, you know, more frequent occurrences of of companies doing this wrong um, just because we'd we'd have more to talk about.
2: I do think there are good examples of companies that have CSR out there, you know, on the banner. Uh, They talk about it a lot. And then have this different side of them that comes out when they're exposed. Uh, Volkswagen, Wells Fargo, BP. Mm-hmm. I mean, the list mm-hmm. goes on, right? Mm-hmm. And you, yeah. you could look at that and say, okay, so that was a smokescreen. They're way out in left field. They're doing it wrong. Um, I don't think anybody's going to argue with that. But I do think that it that could be an oversimplification, right? So mm-hmm. – Uh, And that's what, you know, confused me a little bit about uh, John List. He's the economist from the University of Chicago on the podcast when he said, you know, when it's done with altruism and when there's no benefit to the company, that's pure. Maybe he didn't say that, but the interviewer did uh, or was suggested. But when there's sort of like we need to create a license to operate or we need to deal with a bad reputation or we'll get more customers that's impure and that categorization was a confusing one it it sort of said look i don't know if you i I don't know if that's an honest overview of what corporate social responsibility is because you know i can go back to what bill gates said at the world economic forum when he said "And i quote this hybrid engine of self-interest and concern for others serves a much wider circle of people that can be reached by self-interest, or caring alone. So mm. by combining mm. the two of them, that's the proper approach, and that's really what CSR is and shared value, which is an expression of CSR. So it was a weird characterization that I think sort of could be off-putting to a lot of people who yeah. are listening well, to this you know, was, uh, you, know,
1: you know what I thought was kind of interesting? Did anyone like the fact that they even used the term CSR, yeah, that was the other. You kind of like well, that's kind of like an old, clunky term yeah. in our space. I mean, I was kind of like, isn't there a better way of describing what, this I than th- CSR? I because I see that as more transactional. The
0: challenge is that this is you're, you know they're talking to an academic that Chris just pointed out, John List, is an economist, University of Chicago. Um, and, and when you're an academic, I think, and you're you're researching, you have to have things that are kind of black and white. So they're using like CSR reports and, um, you know, mention of philanthropy and they're calling that, that's CSR. So I think to Chris's point, it's kind of, you're painting with a really broad brush this this thing called CSR. So that clearly was one of my major issues was they're not at all talking about the nuance of, of what these companies are doing. They're just saying like, oh, they make a donation, that's CSR. Um, well, maybe it is, but that's, I, I wouldn't think most companies are like, oh yeah, we make a donation and that's, that's our CSR efforts. It just is... Yeah, a little bit right, of a broad brush. Right. And what
1: about the what about the statement too that customers just don't seem to care? That yeah, that much. was my other little. I mean, that rant was kind of like a <laughs> that was kind of like a like really like customers don't seem to care that well, much. I mean. If, I mean, I mean, if you're a data nerd, though, there's evidence that customers really do
0: care. Well, so a couple of points there, and Chris, you can weigh into, and then I'll be quiet. But um, first of all, again, to the the academic research point, if you look at academic research versus consumer research, which is what we look at mo- most of the time, they're very different, and nary the two shall meet hardly ever, which is unfortunate um, so when, when he's saying like, I've reviewed the research and customers don't seem to care that much. I think he's talking about academic research or he's saying it's kind of all over the place and customers don't seem to care that much at the end of the day. But to me, you know, when we look at companies like Unilever that have come out with public studies who have said, you know, out of our hundreds of brands, the ones that integrate purpose and sustainability into their products, deliver half of our company's global growth, and they're growing 30% faster than the rest of the portfolio. I mean, that's those are businesses that are publicly saying these things do move the needle for us. So, um, yes, I took exception to that.
2: Yeah, I think it's a good point, Megan. Because uh, one of the things we're trying to do with RW Institute is uh, bringing together faculty to inform the practice of corporate responsibility, or we we tend to term it corporate citizenship. But right. then have the practice of corporate citizenship actually inform. Um, the research. So if the research is guiding a better application of the practice, the practice needs to be informing a better methodology around research. And, and no disrespect to John List. I mean, the guy has done research in behavior economics, environmental economics, and even some really fascinating work around charitable giving, right down to matching grants and how that increases uh, giving um, But one-to-one works, but three-to-one doesn't make any difference. So, I mean, he does get into the weeds a little bit with this kind of thing, which is why I supposed, honestly, that a lot of extraneous material just had to be edited out of a podcast, which leaves you with a fairly oddly stated one-sided perspective.
0: Yep. Yep. Well, I'm glad you guys are working on that because I really do think that If academia and industry could get together and kind of study some of these things together, it would be more robust. And he even says in the podcast, like, you know, ideally we could get into companies. And I've heard this from researchers before. Like, can you introduce this to companies because we want to do a study at point of sale and nobody will do this with. I mean, it's I think it's challenging to get companies to open their, you know, open their companies to researchers to come in and kind of dig around and then publish that material. I think that's the biggest challenge it, yeah. yeah
2: it is and that's uh, so the, one of the, our recent articles on um, implicit bias and how teaching people about implicit bias is a different part of the equation than addressing the implicit bias default or the unconscious bias default in us which can only be addressed through experience with your own group so that kind of thing we're we're drawing companies together to form uh, we call them stakeholder tables to investigate how can citizenship be used as a practical experiential context to address what implicit bias plays out like in terms of our behaviors over a long period of time but that does you're right i mean you got to deal with legal and risk and yeah what what if we look terrible and so exactly. companies are very hesitant they love to they love to self-report on what uh surveys say about employees and customers yeah. but when you dive right into it and say, "Well, let's watch what they actually do," it's kind of like, eh, "I don't know about that. That's that's <laughs> yeah, too right. much." Maybe.
0: Exactly. Right. Yeah. So we we can't we right. can't give. Uh, John List, too much of a hard time. Joe, talk about his this the second thing we wanted to talk about, because this is actually pretty interesting, what they came up yeah, with. Yeah, but can we, can
1: we take a minute just to make fun of economists? I mean, come <laughs> on, how much do they really know, right? I mean, you know, Harry Truman said he wanted to meet a one-armed economist, so he couldn't say, on the other hand, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, you can't get a straight oh, answer geez. out of these guys, <laughs> oh, right? Can you? I mean, even in, when you listen to the podcast, you can hear this and stuff like that, kind of the back and forth, but, 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 you know, and, uh, you know, but what I thought was really interesting, though, is the fact that they set up their own company. Exactly. And I think that they're actually, that's a good thing. But I also think that one of the things I really did think was great, though, is they set up a fake company and they talk about this, but they actually donated money to UNICEF. Because they 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 didn't want to be self fulfilling in the sense like you know to do something devious by just pushing a good but here's how it worked they you know they 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 created their own company so they could test their theories about CSR they ran a Craigslist ad for data entry and they gave the choice between eleven dollars and fifteen dollars and then the CSR language versus the non CSR CSR language they, they used to test the wage effect versus the CSR effect. And what they found is even when they offered people less money, the ads produced 33% more applicants than non-CSR ads. So if it it mentioned
0: CSR in the ad, even if it was $11 an hour, they got 33% more applicants, the equivalent of having offered $15 an hour for the same job.
1: That's right. And the fact is, too, that that the people that they got, they were more productive candidates and they were more accurate. So not only did they get better employees, but they performed better, too. Uh, which I think was really interesting. But the question is, Chris, is this a valid test, do you think?
2: Yeah, and it's been done a bunch of times already. This is not the first time. I mean, it's a kind of a novel approach starting your own business, but there's a one from about 10 years ago along these same lines at uh, Stanford. How much of a pay decrease would students take to work for a company that they thought was ethical, both environmentally and social? Columbia Business School produced uh, a report like this just a couple years ago um the numbers run about exactly what he found in terms of we'll take a lower wage and they attracted higher performers uh to the job in the first place so yeah this i think this research is very valid uh and it is stands in a nice line of work that's already been done so it's not groundbreaking but it does have value in terms of uh shoring up uh, previous bodies of work mm-hmm.
0: Unfiltered, the podcast of Phil & Company, delivers an insider's look at the people, issues, and influences that shape the multi-billion dollar charitable giving industry. In this week's episode, they talk to Dave's Killer Bread, the number one organic bread in America, about why almost half of their employees are ex-convicts. Subscribe to Unfiltered, that's Phil as in philanthropies, on Apple Podcasts, and learn more at philandcompany.com
1: this is one of the things that we've seen really in the marketplace though, right? Is that people are really engaged with causes and stuff like that. I mean, that people want to do well. I think it's kind of interesting though, too, in the sense like what's the longevity of something like this? Okay. If we hire someone and we notice immediately that they're, but you know, that's one of the things they said too. And, and, and they said something about some of the cause washing and something like this. And it's like, yeah, but what if those companies don't meet the standard of CSR that these people expected? Does that, you know, does that go, I mean, if people aren't, if companies aren't authentic about it and if they really don't care, does that hurt them in the long run? Well, I was
0: I was wondering that, too, Joe, because they in the ad, they said um, some of our projects are aimed at improving access to education for underprivileged children. We believe these organizations are making the world a better place and we want to help them like that to me is pretty that's kind of a weak, weird statement. Um, So I'm curious to know Chris's opinion on this
2: as well. Yeah, you know, this This is so interesting because this is where we leave economics, get into the behavioral science, uh, sciences and neuroscience and signaling that occurs in the workplace and what messaging means. Um, and the research that's out there says, look, the signals that are sent by the company, uh, there's a, a very interesting uh, one that says, uh, when... Uh, it's based on the social identity theory. So when there's a person in my group who with whom I identify, and by the way, uh, company um, always uh, culture trumps country culture. So the company culture is a very strong um, identity marker in your life. So in that, if you want to belong to the company, you want to belong to that brand, that's your employer. And when you see a signal in the environment, we do this, we never do this, that kind of thing, you conform to that signal. So when... People in a company hear about or or see someone behaving pro-socially in their giving or accepting someone who might be seen as their outgroup, like being kind to a homeless person. What uh, this research has found is that people will fall in line with that immediately. They will increase Mm -hmm. the amount of giving to what the standard is. They will be empathetic. And it, and it's really interesting. I don't need to see you what you do. I don't need to see you give the money. All, sometimes all I need to do is see your expression when you're hearing about someone who's homeless. If you're empathetic, mm-hmm. my facial expression conforms to that almost immediately. Like it's like, huh, interesting. oh, that's what we're supposed to think? I conform. And that's so, a very yeah. interesting aspect interesting. Of, yeah. of, what, of what happens and why CSR and citizenship can be very – powerful in uh, affecting culture and companies.
0: So, I mean, we're talking about a Craigslist ad here, at least in this instance. So I guess, you know, when you're talking about a low wage job, as you're scrolling through these low wage jobs, if there's one that stands out and says, oh, we support children and, and their education because we believe in this, that differentiates a little bit and makes you, I mean, if you already have those held values, that might make you apply to that versus something else. Um, That's right. I mean, what you're talking about is, is really when people are already on the job, but I would think it would work the same for a candidate. Like if there's something that kind of starts to pull them in based on their own um, approaches to these types of values, then they're going to resonate with that more because it, it probably does stand out in a Craigslist ad for an $11 an hour job.
2: Yeah, it's the same thing. It's a signal that says, this is my, these are my people. They share my values. They share my perspective on the world, my point of view. Yeah, I'll go. I'll go. This campaign is going to lose. We all know it. This this political campaign. But those are my people and I'm going to go work for them. Uh, it's because they sh- that's your group. And so you'll you'll help you participate. And so it totally makes sense that you would take less to be with your group than get paid more to be outside of your group.
0: Well, and so this kind of raises, you know, kind of steers us to the conversation of of about the third point, which Very, very generally, is then saying, Well, if you do something good, then that gives you license to do bad. So, essentially, to their company point, what they did was they hired people from Mechanical Turk that were converting images from or converting text out of images. Um, And they didn't recruit people with CSR language at all. That was not a part of this experiment. And then they split their employees into two groups. And one group said, You know, you're going to get paid for this job. And the other group said, you're going to get paid for this job. And by the way, we're going to donate some money to UNICEF. They're not taking money out of their wages. They're just saying, hey, we do this. So what they found was that in the group that were told about the donation, those employees were more likely to cheat at their work. And it was pretty easy to do just based on the work that was done. They could still get paid for for not doing the work, essentially. So 24% more employees in that donation group ended up cheating So they kind of take this leap and said, well, this is called moral license. And when people feel that they've done something good or that they've, you know, even heard about something good being done, it gives them license to do bad. So that's, I I guess, you know, we're talking about all this great stuff like, oh, it's so great to work at places where you feel like you're with your people. But their point in this podcast, and they spend a lot of time in the podcast talking about this, is that, well, that just means that they now can do all sorts of bad, like cheat and steal and lie and, and, you know as it relates to their company so what do you say to that chris or joe
1: i think that's a gross oversimplification of people behavior and why they do things right i mean this i mean they're trying to make this like i feel like they're trying to make this really black and white like you know we actually have this jar in our brain that we're filling with all these comma points and then we're withdrawing with them as we see things and i'm not sure that's how adults operate what do you think Chris?
2: Well, it's very interesting because it, it, there's two parts. This, So I, I don't think he's wrong. Um, uh, moral licensing or self-licensing is one of about 175 identified cognitive biases that we have. And we have these biases for really important reasons. One, there's too much information. We need to get through it fast. Two, what does it mean? We're always constructing meaning and filling in the gaps. Three, we need to act fast. We can't deliberate over everything, all this information. So we we make quick decisions to survive. And then four, how do you remember what kept you alive? You know, this is an evolutionary thing. What, what worked in the past and you construct something? So um, yeah, we've got about 175 distinct cognitive biases, and this is one of them self-licensing. Now, the, the, the thing is, and I, and I can speak to how it plays out in the workplace because there is a, a very dark side to it. But the consideration going into this is it is not a one-to-one correlation with CSR. We do this all the time. You did it when you were a kid, Megan. I know you did when you were told to clean up your room and you did not want to. Yeah. You cleaned up your room, and then that gave you permission to steal a cookie. Or you help someone, and you're a really good person, so you should be allowed to get away with whatever. Kicking the that dog. Explain a you lot did. about yeah. my childhood, right?
0: Hey,
1: Chris, you know, Chris, one of the things you should know about Megan too is Megan was in the Peace Corps, and she did Two incredible years. work Jeez, during the I've day. Been up for that, ever but since. then, but then she went back to a five star hotel, and she felt it was justified. There you go. Hey, you know, I have an, there you know, go. I have an interesting point. I want to make this up. You know, the Oxfam scandal in Haiti, yes. where these people from Oxfam were having these sex parties and stuff like that. Was this this type of uh, of moral license that they felt like, hey, we're
2: in this community doing a lot of good. You know, let's have some fun, too. Yep, And uh, see, so you could categorize it that way. Moral licensing, self-licensing. Uh, moral credential effect. That's actually the, the the specific the guy that they brought on did some research around that back in two thousand eight with with Obama. That is a human norm. Like none of us get out of that, and it's it's not specific to CSR. What's more interesting is to inform how that plays out um, with other cognitive biases that we have as it relates to CSR. And I want to, I want to speak to that in a second, but uh, uh, the only point I want to make about this is it does happen. It just happens to all of us in certain contexts all the time to certain degrees or one degree or another.
0: You know, what stood out to me about this though. I mean, for example, you're, you're on mechanical Turk, which is like the lowest wages in the world, you know, for data entry type things. So I was thinking, and I'm probably overthinking this, but I was thinking, okay, if I'm a low wage worker, and somebody says to me, like, "I'll pay you four dollars an hour to do this job." Um, and oh, by the way, we're also going to donate to UNICEF. I might just be a little bit disgruntled that you're not giving me that money instead of, like, why are you donating it? Why don't you just that's give it to it. me and let me earn four fifty instead of four? Like, so that was part of my that's, my question about why people were mad about that and why they cheated more.
2: That's right. That's what's happening. So now we get into self determination, right? When you take away my ability to choose for myself, I I will react to that. I will react negatively. the The way my brain works, uh, the at, at a neural level changes. Um, I become less able to make better decisions. My cognitive uh, abilities are lowered. What I think about it, uh, I it, we call it stress. So yeah, when you take away people's choices, that's a bad reaction. So let me uh, share a very interesting bit of work that was done um, with about 82 work groups across Eastern China, 180 uh, managers in the U.S. And this, uh, the if you want to read about this uh, report, it's, um, uh, where is it here? It's From Good Soldiers to Psychologically Entitled, Examining When and Why Citizenship Behavior Leads to Deviance. Now, this this is far more pertinent to what was being discussed. And it is, look, when we're looking at what we think about when we think about uh, how people behave in a positive way in the workplace, when you force people to behave good, they will almost always behave badly. Mm. Okay. So they did this study, and it was true. It was true across um the the groups in China. they They wanted to make it sure it wasn't a sort of uh, socioeconomic or uh, cultural. And they looked at not only employees, but their managers in the 180 groups in the U.S. And what they found was, uh, look, when employees are internally motivated to act socially and you give them the opportunity to do good, their commitment, their uh, positive commitment to the organization and their productivity goes up. But when employees feel pressured to uh, uh, participate in positive work, they will... Not only act negatively in the workplace, literally being rude, stealing pens, pencils, getting away with things. They take that home. It it transcends boundaries. They they were treating their spouses poorly because of it. Wow. And that that because it kicks in when when I lose my sense of self determination and I'm forced to behave good, then that license to behave bad kicks in. Those cognitive biases line up in a perfect storm and I act bad. So when companies say we want 100 participation. We always say, "Well, I promise you, your company's going to perform worse. Like cultures going to gather. Yeah, right.
1: It's gonna, I'm feeling all handmaidens' tale
2: here. Yeah, yeah. What yeah, do you that's think? Right. <laughs> you know. That's right.
0: Yeah. Well, but so I mean, to that point, then, Chris, the more interesting experiment to then do, John List, if you're listening, is to <laughs> do that same experiment, but say we could we will pay you four fifty an hour, and you have the option if you would like to donate fifty cents to UNICEF, or you can keep it all for yourself that might be an interesting little follow-up experiment, right? Because then you're giving the people the choice as to whether that goes, well, maybe even not to UNICEF. Maybe it goes to whatever charity you want. Um, what do yeah, you think I think that? what
1: I think what See, was think was really economist. interesting. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> you know, I think it was what was really interesting, though, is he basically concluded at the end that you need to watch socially conscious people better <laughs> <laughs> because they will do That's things right. wrong.
0: I <laughs> wanted to have Chris on because, like, that <laughs> just seemed... It just seems like this weird sweeping generalization that yeah. they're not taking into consideration good employee engagement techniques. They're just saying, like, well, we're doing this. It's called CSR. And that's going to make people behave badly. But really, what I get to Chris's point, what you're saying, I think, Chris, is that when you design experiments that take away people's self-determination and their choice, they will perform poorly. And you yeah, should because know
2: that. the Because the cognitive bias is there. You're not all you're doing is saying, oh, yeah, what we knew is true. It's true. And we're creating conditions for that to play out. And exactly. but, but the, the and what went wrong was saying but it's because of CSR, it, right? It, it it doesn't matter. It could have been uh, we're gonna buy all of your mother's flowers. It, they're like, great. <laughs> I'm glad you're doing. I don't even like my mother, so I'm gonna take these <laughs> pens. <laughs> but you know what? <laughs> hey, <laughs> Megan, So you- so Chris, tell me
1: something. Do I? It, it, you know, I've been writing Selfish Giving since 2004. Do I have the perfect title for what I talk about?
0: You I mean, Absolutely. you know, at the end
1: of the day, for all you people who have criticized Selfish Giving, who have laughed at Selfish Giving, who have, like, shamefully reminded me that people are what... It's like, it's real. Like, you know, it like, there is this constant battle between uh, you know, the selfishness and the giving. I mean, you know, Richard Dawkins talks about this in The Selfish Gene, right? And, uh, you know, I mean, it's it's it's, tr- it's a real thing.
2: And uh, there are two things that we could touch on before our time ends. But one is, uh, Megan, you're, I, I'm, I'm, uh, Joe, you might know him as well. Mike Norton from Harvard. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. If uh, if money's not making you happy, you're spending it wrong. Right. Yeah. So and that's, that's all about self-determination. If I make a donation on your behalf, uh, you won't care. Unless you happen, I'm making it to the very thing that you care so much about. But if I give you the money and let you spend it, You care a lot. And that is because um, um, we build value into the things that we have a hand in. And that is a really interesting study about value and use compared to potential value. The things that we use and consume and create, again, Mike Norton's work on the IKEA effect. When we build furniture from IKEA, we think it's more beautiful, more functional, (laughs) better value. It's not. It's a ruse. (laughs) It's they're playing to a cognitive bias that when we get to make it, it's better and it's not. But when we get that's why only people who participate in CSR place a value on it.
1: You know, one of the things like that I thought about, too, with this research and one of the things I was thinking about when he was talking about all these things, I was kind of like, well, what about Patagonia? You know what I mean? In the sense, like not only like the success they've had with their customers, but even some of the cognitive biases that they've they've kind of um, delved into, Chris, with like, don't buy this jacket, you know, that whole campaign and stuff like that in terms of like, you know, getting people to come in. And obviously, and, you know, what was true about that was that, yeah, a lot of people did come in. They got their jackets fixed and they got them repaired and stuff like that. And they bought a lot of jackets, too. You know, so I mean, how does it? You know, isn't isn't someone like the gold standard of Patagonia? Isn't that like something that can that can drive kind of a stake in all this research here?
2: Yeah, it, look, that can be reproduced by anybody. So if you give me a second, there are three spheres of value. There's the provider sphere where I make something and I say this is great. You you have got to have this phone. It is phenomenal. Blah blah blah. That represents potential value. It has no value until somebody picks it up and uses it, right? It's just sitting on the shelf, right? So that's the provi- provider sphere. Um, we talk about the value proposition. That's They can only talk about it. The joint sphere is where the customer and the provider come together and kind of co-create a value. We'll come back to that in a second. And the final sphere, this is the customer sphere. This is where it's value and use. This is where I take the phone and I use it And in using it, I generate economic value, personal value, I get more informed, whatever it may be, but but I can realize that value. That's called value in use. What Pentagonia does is they say, look, we've got this potential value in this campaign, in this market, in this approach, but we know that our employees need to be involved physically, emotionally, cognitively involved. So we're going to ask them to take an action, but we're going to facilitate that action and create this. Uh, joint sphere where we can inform it it's a bit like when i can go to the apple store and i have a macbook pro but they they give me more information to get more value out of it that mm-hmm. is a joint sphere and any company can do this when it comes to csr look here's a value proposition we're doing this we're saving trees well great but that's just potential value i'm not gonna it's not value in use there's no value to me other than what you are saying to me so that if they create this joint sphere where i can bring actual value to it by doing something, um, then it becomes real value to me.
0: It's involving the the consumer and the That's and right. the customer in in their in their good deeds.
1: Well here's the great thing too. Patagonia really believes in what they do. You know what I mean? They really believe and they're trying to make a difference and they're trying to do the right That's thing. That's a
0: great question for Chris though, Joe. What if yeah. you developed a company and you just decided you were going to, you don't actually believe in the, in the good deeds you're going to do, but you do everything right. You create a cause or a CSR or purpose or whatever you want to call it. Um, you've crafted it perfectly to, you know, engage your employees and your customers with self-determination. And would it still work, even if it's inauthentic, if you do everything right in the execution?
2: Yes, because... Well, yes, for a time, because uh, companies, the corporate citizen is comprised of hundreds of thousands of hundreds of thousands of people. So there's always going to be a part of the company that that does, will, believe, it. That does believe it and a part of the company that has no participation in it, no experiential. And they just say, you know what, that's like every other marketing campaign we've ever had. And it will change and it, it has no value to me. And they'll make decisions without being informed by the value of the message so that the trick is to give everybody an experience with the value creation of what you talk about with csr uh, not force be careful not force them to behave prosocially but give them an experience to inform their value proposition then then you can get alignment but honestly if a comp- it, we work with citizenship teams And we put together really great programs and they produce great results. But we also know there are probably parts of the company that at any moment can undermine it, just like happened at Volkswagen and Wells Fargo, for example.
1: Well, you know, I even think about that with this recent campaign with Philip Morris, where it was very popular in the UK. They were telling people, don't smoke cigarettes. And then, you know, you have this campaign in the UK where they're saying, like, look, this is not the company that we want to be. But at the same time, we're selling millions and millions of cigarettes in the United States and especially in third world countries where it represents a huge opportunity for them. You know, so, I mean, that's where I get confused in the sense, like, I'm like, hey, come on, you can't do like one good thing and say you're not going to you're not about cigarettes and then keep on doing it somewhere like doubling down, not doubling down, like a hundredfold down.
2: Yeah, I, that that one is, that's a confusing message. I agree. I want to yeah, ask yeah. another
0: question about, and it kind of references something that was said in the podcast, but just apropos of what you're talking about right now, Chris. So as a lead on the corporate citizenship team and knowing just how people, you know, everything that we've just talked about, is it a good idea or a bad idea to publicly share what's happening about your program? Because I think on this show, Joe and I always talk about like, oh, you got to communicate to employees. You got to communicate to your customers what's happening and what the impact is and blah, blah, blah. Is that a good idea or a bad idea?
2: Uh, So it's a bad idea if you want to put it in the marketing. Remember the provider sphere. Here's our value proposition of what it is. Look how great we are. Right. Because if I don't have any skin in the game, I'm going to judge that really harshly. Right. You built that you built that uh, chair on your own and I bought it and it doesn't perform well. I am. It's all about how you failed. But if there's this joint sphere where I you facilitated my value and use process and, you know, you provide it, you give me the instructions, I build it, you inform how I can make it better and it breaks. No, it's it's okay. I can fix it. Like things happen. You know, maybe it's the way I sat on it. I'll make a whole bunch of excuses again. Mm. This is another bias. I will excuse what happens in my in-group and I will condemn what happens in my out-group. So if you bring it into my sphere where I have, you know, cre- put some value into it by having a chance to co-create your CSR value proposition, I'm very forgiving. Otherwise, I'm very condemning.
0: Okay, well, here's, here's a twist for you. You're going to love this one, Joe. So let's say you have a point of sale campaign where a company is asking consumers to donate at checkout. Now, they actually don't feel like they had self-determination because they felt like they were guilted into giving the dollar, okay? Um, However, they did end up participating and donated the dollar, and then they get a thank you saying like, hey, this is where your money went. Is that a good thing or a bad thing?
2: I think point of sale only works if if you can tell me where it's actually going, and I already care about it.
0: So like uh, if I if I love animal charities, you ask me to donate a dollar to animal charities, maybe I feel like I might not have donated, but you asked me in front of three other people. So I donated and I do actually care about dogs. And right. then you send me a thank you saying, Oh, look at the dogs you helped place into homes or whatever. Then I might be right. like, Oh, okay, yeah, these are my people yeah. after all. I'm glad I did yeah. it. But if yeah. you ask me to do that around uh, you know, Joe Waters latte fund and I don't care about Joe Waters latte fund, and then you tell me how many lattes Joe got,
2: I'm more resentful. <laughs> yeah. Look. That's exactly right. I- That's really <laughs> not apples and apples. <laughs> but it's a nice, you know what? It's a nice Freakonomics type example.
1: It, at the end of the day, though, it's complicated. Right, why people make decisions. And, you know, I mean, a lot of things I think that happen at the register are just impulsive with people. Uh, You know what I mean? In a sense, like, yeah, I'm feeling good today. I'm going to donate a dollar or I need to feel good about myself or I feel good about myself. That's why I'm going to donate. There's a lot of reasons why people make.
2: Yeah, that's right. (laughs) (laughs) We we don't anticipate. (laughs) (laughs) See
0: how don't (laughs) I can twist economics?
2: I love that. Yeah. I plan to do something bad. So I will do something good to set me up for In it because I'm so aware of my own internal biases.
0: <laughs> that's awesome. Chris, this is so great. I feel like we could have you on every week just to talk
2: about Oh, this. you know what,
1: Chris? I got to say something too. You were the perfect Absolutely. person
0: to talk about with this. Oh, Absolutely. well, thank you
2: guys. Yeah. yeah, That's awesome.
0: Yeah. Well, tell It's us- great to be here. Well, it's always great to have you. But for people who want to get more of the Chris Jarvis smarts, how can they find you online?
2: Well, the best place is um, through the realizedworth.com site. You can see the blogs that we're writing. Um, There's one, I think, an interesting one uh, about reframing the CSR conversation to um, uh, impact investment of human capital. Uh, So that's coming out next week. You can check that out. Uh, or this week when the, when the show, uh, airs, uh, also rw.institute. If you want to learn more about that and get into some weird, heady research where we're going to put people in MRI machines and watch how their neural net changes because of exposure to outgroups through employee volunteering, that's where you go for that kind of stuff. So realized worth is a bit more practical, but, um, uh, is in where we're headed.
0: Amazing. And we'll include that in the show notes. Chris, are you active on Twitter?
2: Yeah, Realize Worth or Chris Jarvis. Yep. Uh, Joe, I don't know if you know this one. I've, I've had I've started one for the Realize Worth. Uh, sorry, the RW Institute. So I'll send you that Twitter handle as well. I don't have many. Yeah, I don't have as many followers as I used to have on that one. It takes a long time to build up a new. It course. does, especially these days. Yeah. it is
1: not. It's not two thousand and eight anymore. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, when we get those Twitter handles, we will put them in the show notes as well. Joe, yeah, we Joe will. where can people find you online?
1: Well, on Twitter, they can find me minute to minute at Joe Waters. And don't forget to swing by SelfishGiving.com. Sign up for my newsletter. goes out every Wednesday morning at 8 o'clock. And also check out all those pins on Pinterest, Pinterest.com, front slash Joe Waters. What about you, Megan? Where can people find you? I'm also on
0: Twitter at Megan Strand. And I tweet for Engage for Good at Engage for Good which is also where you can find show notes for today's episode, engageforgood.com, as well as selfishgiving.com. And while you are online, make sure you subscribe to Talk Radio and Apple Podcasts so that you do not miss an episode. And on behalf of Chris and Joe and myself, I want to thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Talk Radio. And we'll talk to you next time.